Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Hi, Anita. Well, well, well. I know that you are fresh from returning from a sojourn. Yes, I, w I sojourned. I went on a walkabout. In my car, though, I drove to my sister's house in Idaho. You guys, it's a big deal when I drive myself somewhere. Most people are like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal for me. I am an infant. I fall asleep in the car. Usually when Anita leaves town or wants to leave town, she's like, hey, do you want to go on this trip? And I realize it's only because she wants me to drive her. Basically, I want Mel to be my chauffeur. You're just using me. Is that so wrong? What am I going to do when somebody throws a sandwich at my head from the back? That's what I'm worried about. I don't have those skills yet of, of staying strong and like steel nerves. I don't either. Well, guess what? You you just got back and I'm leaving in an now, hour. We had very few minutes to make this happen. And I'm so glad we made it happen. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm driving four hours away for one night and coming back because I need to. You inspired me and our other widow friend, Kirsten, not Kirsten from last week, but Kirsten inspired me. And it shows me that I can leave my house and my basement for a day. And that you're, you won't start on fire if you see the sunlight or something like that? Yes, but I am bringing my dogs and that's usually why I don't want to leave because I am obsessed with them. I cannot live without them. They don't throw sandwiches at your head? No, they just bark. It's pretty much the same. Well, we're a couple weeks post-traumatic episode of Anita's life. How are you doing at this point? 
I'm feeling much more normal, much less traumatized, much more back to normal. If I think about it, though, I can still put myself back in that feeling of, so I'm just not thinking about it. Moving on with my life. Good. Well, I'd like to update everybody about our adventures at the bank because that's also been very exciting. (laughs) You guys, oh my gosh, all we're trying to do is open a bank account. A business bank account. For the podcast, yeah. which is apparently much harder than just opening a bank account as a person. Apparently, widows are perhaps terrorists. I don't know. We had our third attempt. We dressed up in full widow getup. It was unbelievable and amazing. And they told us we were approved. And they then- said, you're going to get a phone call in the next day or two to just finalize everything. And so I got the phone call. And the lady was like, oh, well, actually, I need one more thing. And I was like, you are kidding me. So we still don't have a bank account. Apparently, they want to make sure that we're not legally married to each other and filing joint returns They or would something? like it better if we were. They could not understand the widow-wife relationship. We didn't tell them that either. That would have just muddied the no. waters even more. And we don't need any more yeah. mud in this situation. In the meantime, we've been making videos about it. That's pretty fun. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, it's been going on in the Widow Wives Club today, this morning. I thought it was fascinating. I don't know, because I was driving all morning. So tell me. I'll let you know. Food is hard. Eating is hard. Meal prepping is hard. Anita has a cookie and she's eating it. It's a giant cookie. Maybe because, do you think because you have kids and you have to feed them that it makes you eat? Or do you feel sometimes like you don't feel like eating or making any food? And so you don't for yourself. My relationship with food has absolutely changed but probably not the same as yours. In the very beginning, I didn't eat. And then I'm, I love to eat all the things that are bad for me now. But I used to love to cook. And now I don't ever feed my kids. I don't ever make meals because they just complain about them. So it's like, why would I take the effort to do this? So they just kind of forage, eat a lot of uh, cheese plus carbohydrates, quesadillas, mac and cheese grilled cheese it's all nice if i if i don't know i would just probably eat nothing but unhealthy food if i didn't no i just do eat unhealthy food i guess if any of you are in the widow wives club and you relate with this jump on in there and comment because it's very fascinating i didn't realize that i was the only one and somebody else started the conversation and it's like all the same things like i'd have no motivation i have some snacks that are healthy But trying to get up and make anything is like, I don't know. I wonder if it's ever going to leave or I'm going to have to make a goal to care. I don't know how to care about eating. Maybe I don't need to care right now. I'll just figure it out later. I just like food, though. So I like to eat it. But I definitely eat way more fast food than I used to. And I feed my kids horribly. Like, we eat out all the time. And I've just come to be like, that's how it is. And I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. I don't really necessarily feel bad about it. I just notice it and think, oh, that's weird. You might feel bad about it, though, if your food choices were affecting other humans. You might be like, oh. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. I was also thinking of this other thing, Anita. Here's what I was thinking about. Do you think that in early widowhood, you want more black and white options for decisions and clear cut things than as time goes on? The reason why I'm asking is because I remember when I was in my first early days, 
after Scott died and everything was so new and I was like, what? Everybody needs to write a manual on how to treat people or what to say, what not to say. And then time goes on and then you have different perspectives and things are a little bit more nuanced, at least from my perspective. And I understand all of it. I understand the black and white and the needs and wanting to feel like that. And I understand observing nuances. What do you think? Yes. I, I, if, if I understand you correctly, I would say that in the early days, your grief is so big that you feel like your grief is the same as everybody else's grief. Does that make sense? Because it's so huge that you can't imagine anybody having different grief than you're having. And so you do feel like there's a lot of black white. You should say this. You shouldn't say that. You should do this. People shouldn't do that. And then, at least in my experience, it's probably just because I've come to know more people who are grieving. And I have seen, oh... They are different than I am. And I don't think I could have probably appreciated that as much in the early days as I can now. So maybe the same, but a little bit different, but kind of on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting things to ruminate about. So this week, Mel took me on an adventure. I did. Oh, my gosh. Please tell. So Mel had what's called in the business a jam session. And I was like... What is this? What does that mean? Who is in charge? How does it work? And she explained all of those things. I still think it's uh, like a little bit of hocus pocus and voodoo. And there is no answers to any of those questions. But we went to a brewery and Mel played and I got to listen to her play with some bandmates. And then after a little while, they invited people to come and sit in. So random people would bring their instruments and go play with the band. And I thought that we were legit famous for this podcast. But then I found out that Mel is legit famous in the musician world. There were like these little college boys who were just barely old enough to be in the brewery. And they would walk up to her when there was a break. And they're like, they'd like bow to her. Hello, madam. (laughs) It would be my honor to play. With you, if that would work, if that would be okay for you, I will kiss your ring. And Mel was like, we'll see. Not true. (laughs) But it was kind of funny. There was definitely some Mel worship going on in there. It was so intriguing to me to observe Anita observing a jam session because it never occurred to me that what a jam session is needed to be clarified because I've just been in the musician vortex for so long. And it's like... Sometimes you only communicate with your kind, and that's not always healthy. Right. Like, there was a point in life where I seriously could not have a conversation with someone that was not a musician. So I started, that's why I started listening to science podcasts, (laughs) so I could try it. Someone was like, oh, that's great. So you're saying that you were stuck in this nerdy world, and you just transferred to another nerdy world. I'm like, I guess that's true. Yeah, but if you can be a transient nerd... No, that's not the right word. Yeah. So this was a jazz jam. It was fun. And actually, the people that have been listening to the podcast know that one of my band members died by suicide. And then my other musician friend died of COVID. This was all very recent. And so some of those people's people were also there. So it was nice to see everyone and kind of weird. Like, okay, before COVID, I had moved. I didn't see any of these people. COVID happened. A couple of people died. It's been really sad. And now we're kind of all coming back together 
and it's still everybody had masks and everything still but it seems like it's starting to open up a little bit more but it was good to see those friends that were connected to my other friends and just kind of check in i got the sense that this was the first time or one of the first times that this kind of event has happened in a while because there was a lot of excitement there was a lot of response there was a lot of like yes i want to come and i was like what is going on here (laughs) yeah And there's food there. So it's basically like a pub, like a restaurant. And so people can come in and eat and do their thing. But it is it is in the jazz culture to have a jam session because there's a strong mentor mentee relationship that's just been passed on. What about mentos? Well, if you eat garlic nachos, you need mentos. I like the fruity mentos too. Oh, those are good too. Yeah. So but Anita, it was so cool because you made some new friends, even though you were stressed about being gone. And there were a lot of people there that also were close to loved ones that had died. Did you have some good talks? Yeah. And a lot of people were like, hey, I know you, even though I don't know you. And I was like, okay, hi. And all I could think the whole time was, this is a school night. What are all these people doing? They need to get home and go to bed. (laughs) And they're all over 21. Yeah. And I mean, I'm like, just in my mom head being like, you guys, It's a Wednesday night. Well, it was a success. I'm so proud of you for leaving and coming with me because I'm proud of myself for leaving the house. I have left my house almost every day this week. Sometimes the most is five times. Five times in a day? Yeah, because my friend is visiting and so we've had to go get food. Yeah. See, when you have somebody else who wants to eat, it makes you eat too. Overall, are you glad you went? It was and it was what did I call it? It was a stretching experience for me because it stretched my comfort zone. I was going to a place where the only person that I really knew was going to be busy the whole night. And also, I'm just a mom in a bar thinking that everybody should go to bed. So all of it and jazz is very foreign to me, too. Are you going to sit in next time? Yeah, I'll play the clarinet next time. Jazz clarinet. I would like to say we did wear our widow hats. We had an event. I'm going to post about it a little bit later, so you'll be able to see it. Okay, everybody. This Saturday, March 13th at 12 p.m. Mountain Time. Mountain Standard. We're going to be Mountain Daylight soon, and it's different. Oh, gosh. When will this end? Never. Just a reminder that this Saturday, March 13th at either 12 p.m. Mountain Standard Time or 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, we're having our Widow Wives Zoom being facilitated by autumn so if you haven't rsvp'd please do so we're keeping this to a smaller group so that it's easier to facilitate and not overwhelming so there will be limited spots rsvp today to widow we do now at gmail.com and please specify which time you want mel shall we do our patron shout out to begin with we're gonna say widows you got this from our secret widow admirer constance dahlbach David Kelly, Don Satterwhite, Ivan Meisner, Cat, and Katie Kuntz. Next, we have our widow wives and besties Amy Sapp, Ashley Hahn, Ashley Han, <laughs> Danielle Catterberg, Dennis Brazo, Jenny Taylor, Jenny with no last name, Kirsten Stromberg, Laura Bradbury, Rachel Barbosa, Sarah Morris, Sylvia the Shore, The Winehouse Karen Cornejo, Anna Tracy, 
Christina Scambato, Christine Anderson, Diana Becker, Emily Thornton, Emily Toledo, Aaron Posick. Hi, Opal. Oh, Gabe Lozano, Eliana Bell. She has a raccoon now. I know. Jamie Aliota, the oldest sister, Anita's Madre, Jenny Barrow, the fancy lady, Katie Radcliffe, Kara Scara. Lori Farrington, Marie Hoffman, Marjorie Lewis, Shannon Helm, Tammy Schwartz, Valeria Packer, <laughs> Black Wendy. Thank you, everybody, for supporting us through our Patreon. This podcast episode is sponsored by the Meisner Family Foundation in memory of Elizabeth Meisner. If you'd like to join our Patreon, visit patreon.com slash WWDN. If you'd like to not do that, but buy us some tacos, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash widowwedonow. BTW, I, there's a new taco place in town, and it is so good. When I care about food, let's go. You need to go before you care about food so that I can go get a taco. Okay, I'll drive you. Perfect. Okay, we have an exciting episode coming up today, and one correction we need to make first is... Oh, I'm so sorry. I feel so dumb. Our guest, I told you that she was the host of the wrong podcast. So her actual podcast is the Widowed Mom podcast, and we have Krista St. Germain coming up. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. And we're just two young widows trying to figure out... Widow, we we do do now. You guys, we're really excited about our guest today. If you are in the Widow podcast scene, you know this person. She's not new. She's been around the block. Is that fair to say? I don't know. That, is that <laughs> a little judgy? Makes, that might be a little judgy. I don't know. Our guest today is the one and only Krista St. Germain. Hi, Krista. Hi. Thank you <laughs> for joining us on our podcast I have a feeling this is going to be the most fun interview I've ever done. (laughs) I sure hope so. (laughs) We have a goal during our interviews to make you feel confused and like you don't know what's coming next. Derailed. Zingers. Uh Like, just like, what? Okay. Well, you know, widow brain. We just follow the flow. Yeah. It's, It's no joke. So, Krista, I want to tell you that you were one of the first, um, what do I call you? recommendations no i don't even know how i saw one of your little videos if somebody sent it to me or if i just happened upon it and it was the first time that i had come across the concept that my husband dying could contribute to post-traumatic growth and i was like what really huh It was really kind of a bizarre, surreal experience for me. So actually, thank you for that. Because before that, I was like, no, there's no way that this is going to be anything but terrible. And then I was like, this lady says something different. I wasn't sure if I should believe you, though. Should I believe you? Yeah, I was kind of wondering, how was it received? Were you like... (laughs) jump in a lake lady or no was it at the very beginning of right after your husband died um it wasn't right after the beginning it was kind of when i was starting to be in the sludge of it where it was like starting to feel more like this is it 
and just really hard. And I saw that video and I was like, huh, actually, maybe I can be one of the ones who comes out of this better. And then I went back into the sludge. (laughs) I think I'm still in the sludge. (laughs) Yeah. So um, Krista, tell us a little bit about who you are, your widowhood story, and what you do on your podcast or in your life. I don't know how much of the story you want, but I'll I'll give you the Reader's Digest at least. And then if you want more, yeah. So um, master certified life coach and really never intended to become a life coach. And then my husband died. (laughs) Lame. Fast forward. Yeah. um, Totally unexpected for me. So we, he was in a car accident um, trying to change the tire on my car on the side of the interstate. I had had a flat tire and he was parked behind me and um, you know, being the man that he was, he did not want us to call triple A. He just wanted to do it himself, thought it would be faster and baby, let's just, I'll just change it. So I was standing on the side of the road and he was trying to get the spare tire out of my trunk and his car was behind him. And, um, a driver who we later found out had meth and alcohol in his system just didn't hit the brakes at all, just straight into the Durango and trapped him in between the Durango and the Camry and 24 hours later gone. Right. So I thought initially I didn't, I thought we were just going to have like an amputation kind of situation, but just wasn't in the cards. So yeah, straight back to therapy, um, try to figure out how to get myself back to functioning and then kind of reach that point where I was back to work and everybody was saying what they always say, which is like, you're so strong, you know, you're doing amazing. And in my mind, I was thinking if this is amazing, I don't, I don't know. Your (laughs) scale is really Yeah. I don't think this is amazing. And just trying to figure out, and even the therapist was saying that, right? You're doing great. And so I was just trying to figure out, okay, I don't, I don't think this is all that's meant for me. What else is out there? And I just happened that a life coach that I had been following for a while started a program that I joined and it was so transformational for me. I decided I have to become a coach at that point. I really didn't think I wanted to coach widows. I thought it would be too sad. Um, I was just kind of like barely getting back to being me and like figuring it out for myself. And so it took me a bit to realize that no, actually this is something that I want to do. So that's what I do full time now and have for the last few years is specifically coach widowed moms. And I do that now mostly in a group setting. So I have a program called mom goes on and we spend six months together and then really work on, you know, what's in the way of not just getting back to the new normal. Like that's like fingernails on a chalkboard for me, but like really loving your life again. Like what's in the way of that? And it's different for each person, but yeah. So you're saying that we can love our lives again? This sounds like crazy talk. Wait, you mean we might have feelings of happiness and joy? Wait, wait, what? (laughs) Yes. yes. This sounds like a bunch of malarkey. Not that it will ever be, though, all happy and all joy. It'll still be human. It's still, you know, still I'll have the negative emotion, too, but that it's just not settling. That's what drives me so crazy is I see and talk to so many widows who, because they don't have a lot of examples of how to love life again, they really do kind of set their sights so low. You know, it's just about adjusting to the new normal and kind of functioning, but not really loving life. It's like cliche, but surviving and not thriving. I identify with that so much. I have explained it (laughs) as feeling like right now my life is a placeholder. You know, I'm not really, I'm just 
kind of passing time until I feel like things are better, I guess. And, and there's a piece of me that still kind of wants to get back to what it was and knowing that there is no back to what it was because that is gone and right. it's trying to figure out what's in front and the beauty and what's in front. Yes. And I don't, I mean, I have glimpses of that sometimes, but I'm still not, you know, fully embracing that yet. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, so we have, we actually asked our listeners what they wanted more of and we got a lot of responses that they were interested in help with parenting and my (laughs) response was like me too so (laughs) we had to think of who who we could find who could possibly help us with that and since your your podcast is the widowed parent podcast we turned and asked you to join us and you were gracious enough to say yes um but we were talking before we started recording that even though your podcast is about widowed parenting, it really applies to widowhood, all of it, and even all of it. life, all of it. Yeah. 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 In fact, I get a lot of people that tell me they're not even widows that listen, oddly enough, just the grief, <laughs> because really grief is so misunderstood and they're looking for resources and support around grieving whatever loss they had. Yeah. Is it mostly grief though related? It's not just moms yeah i don't think it's yeah i don't think moms generally come i think it's more you know non-spouse losses and people end up listening to me for that yeah i would like to say something krista i have tried to help anita with her parenting woes because i have recommended she check out an orphanage (laughs) she's not following my life coach advice rude this is what we call coaching on the a-line though mel we don't allow it Kids oh, explain what that means. What does that mean? So, well, the, the model that I use in the coaching that I do, which I learned from the life coach school where I certified, has five lines. And one of them is the action line. So it's the things that we do, right? So if any coach is telling you what to do, you might want to get a different coach. C-Mail, I'm firing you as a coach. Yeah. So, you know, I never, I don't know what's right for my clients to do. I I I barely know what's right for me to do. That's enough work. So I don't ever propose to tell people what to do. But my thought is, is we always know what to do. We just have some junk in the way. And so coaching can kind of help us get rid of the junk so we can have some clarity and then do what's the best thing for us. And maybe that's an orphanage. I'm not saying it's not. Well, I'm a great A-line coach then. Yeah, you're a great A-line coach. <laughs> and mm-hmm. actually, I'm always looking for A-line people to tell me what to do. I'm like, just tell me what to do. So I was telling Krista and um, one of our guests earlier was my sister, Shauna, who's a life coach and how I get super annoyed with her when she won't just tell me what to do. And she wants to make me examine my thoughts. You're like, no, I don't want to look at my thoughts. Just tell me what to do. So Krista, can you tell us what is so liberating and powerful about the model that you use in relation to parenting? Yes. So there's a couple of things. One is that when you learn the model and you realize that your thoughts cause your feelings and your feelings are what fuel your actions, then you don't have to take responsibility for the little people's thoughts and feelings and actions. And you recognize that as much as you might want them to think, feel, and behave in particular ways, you can't make them. 
right? And so it just kind of helps you stop spinning your wheels and focusing on what you can't actually change and getting yourself back to focusing on what you can change, which is how you think and feel and what you do. And the idea is that when you work on the things that are within your own head, then your actions will be more intentional. Yes, and will work better. Here's a question for you. In our society, there is the thought that we are responsible for our children's behavior. And to a certain extent, that has to be true as far as like liability. You know, if our kids break something in the store, we're responsible for that broken whatever. So how do you how do you delineate between what is your responsibility as far as your kids' behavior and what's not your responsibility? And does that question make any sense? And no, my children have never broken anything in the store and I've never had to pay for anything and it's fine. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Yes, it makes total sense. So... Yes. I mean, of course it matters how we role model things to our children, right? It matters that we set rules and that we have consequences and that we, you know, tell them what we expect of them, but we really still can't think their thoughts. We can't create their feelings. We can't actually determine whether they choose to follow our rules or, you know, use the the good behavior that we role model as what they follow. We, we just can't control that. So it's, do the things that you want to do in terms of the type of parent that you want to be, but know that there is a limit to what that other human who has agency decides to do with that information. And don't measure your success or failure as a parent based on how your children... So you're pay. saying that I should pay for the tchotchke that they broke, but not think that I'm a bad mom because that would they be broke the thing. Okay. Yeah. And then maybe they get to pay for the tchotchke later with something else. That'd be, that'd be probably how I'd But that them. sounds like an action. And so now you're fired. <laughs> and you're done. <laughs> you're barred from Hit the stop. association stop, with Mel. We're done. We're done um, here. Did you yeah. have your hand up, Mel? I was fist bumping oh, myself. Okay. I kind of my new My new life coach school. A-line. <laughs> the A-line. And Mel's like, I have no questions because I have no children. But I have yep. all of the questions. So it's fine. We're going to get to other non-mom questions soon. So don't worry, kidless widows. I'm here with you and we will be talking about our stuff as well. So something that I face a lot of is a feeling of my brain 
being broken. And let me explain what I mean by that. So I'm a physical therapist, and I, at the beginning of my career, treated brain-injured patients. And there was a point at which too much input in a brain-injured patient was detrimental. They couldn't deal with the stimulation. Too much stimulation, and their brain went, and they could not focus, and they couldn't attend to the things that they needed to. And to a certain extent, I feel the same way. I feel like it's a physiological overstimulation. My brain has lost the ability to have all of the stimulation coming in at once. So it used to be that the house could be a mess and my kids could be screaming and I was like, whatever. But now I feel like my input sensors get overloaded more easily. And so then I find myself being grouchy and angry much easier because I just feel like, back off. You know, it's too much input right now. And I don't know how to deal with that. What say you, life coach? Well, how do you normally deal with it? Do you beat beat yourself up for it or what do you do? I yell a lot. Yell a lot at the at the other people. Yes. No. Yes. Yeah. Or sometimes I lock myself in my bedroom. That's another thing that yeah. I do. But, you know, I just feel overstimulated to the point where I don't act how I want to act. Yeah, I think there's ways we need to like acknowledge that really grief does change things that are happening in our body and in our brain, right? And for how long is not necessarily standard for one, you know, or one size fits all, but to really acknowledge that, yeah, it's not quite the same as it was before. Widow fog, it's no joke. There's a great book, I think that's worth reading if people want to learn more about it. It's called Before and After Loss by Lisa Schulman. And she's a neurologist and a widow. And her husband was a neurologist too. And so she kind of walks through what it was like to lose him as a neurologist and the one grieving. And so she talks about it from an emotional perspective, but then also for, from the, the brain science perspective, which is completely fascinating and gives you a lot more compassion for what you just described right? That it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. And then when you see that, you can be kind to yourself in the moment, give yourself the break without making yourself feel guilty. You know, then you can start to change some of those patterns, right? And in the moment, maybe, you know, okay, this is like, I'm approaching the max here where when I get to this level, this is about when I want to yell if something else happens and how do I back myself out of that first and then, you know, support myself with either some alone time. I am a huge fan of emotional freedom technique tapping to calm the nervous system down. I mean, when you're just overstimulated, you have to have coping mechanisms. Sometimes it feels like you don't have the luxury of being able to remove yourself from the situation or to do some of those things that might be beneficial because you're on your own. You know, there's nobody else who's going to come and take the banana away from the kid who's smushing it into the couch and the other kid who's kicking that kid while that kid's smushing the banana into the couch Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of the things at the same time. And it's just overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it really is very hard in the moment to excuse yourself from a situation if there's banana smushing or worse (laughs) happening, right? Could be, but then what can we do preventatively to help ourselves, right? So can we take five minutes, five, 10 minutes when everybody's asleep or, you know, just a little bit of downtime here and there and do some of that nervous system calming or thought downloads, self-coaching? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. And that would be, that would be really smart 
to think about when you're not in the moment. It's hard, though, to, right? to get yourself out of reactive mode. It is hard. Yeah. Right? But it can be done. Um, do you have other advice for how to stop being reactive and start being proactive? Is that the opposite of reactive? I would say that it is. So in the moment, I think just developing the skill of being able to feel a feeling without reacting to it is a pretty big deal, right? And one that nobody really teaches us. Yeah. How do you how do you start to get better at examining your thoughts and understanding what is going on inside of your brain? Well, and it's kind of two different skills, right? So one is letting the feelings pass through. And then the other one is examining the thoughts that caused them in the first place. So in the moment, you don't even really have to understand the thought that made you so angry as much as you want to recognize that, oh, this is anger. And just because it's there, I don't have to yell. I can just let it be with me, right? I can let it pass through me. And that's a different skill. So we, that's in my program, we start there because nobody teaches us how to feel feelings. And most of us think that they're big problems. Oh, I thought you were saying you started with anger. <laughs> oh, we say, hey, we get angry. You know, what you really need to do, first of all, yeah, is get angry. No, we start with learning to feel feelings. But if you're in a really reactive space a lot of times, and the thoughts required that, you know, would change your emotional state really aren't available to you, then let's just learn to let the feeling be there with us and not let it dictate how we show up and what we do. How does Anita do that? Yes, <laughs> How does she practice this before the moment? Yeah, I, I teach it in three, st in like a simple three-step process. I call it now feeling. It's N-O-W. And so it's the N stands for name. Or honestly, you don't even have to name, but you do have to notice. Name or notice. So like this is anger. You're aware of it, right? And Oh, I'm, I'm aware, aware of that one. Then the <laughs> O is counterintuitive, but it's open up. Open up to it let it in, right? Because what most of us want to do is shove it down. And that's the problem with anger, especially is that the more we shove it down, the more energy we add to it. And eventually we pop, right? And it comes back up and kind of smacks us in the face. So instead of trying to get away from it and shove it down, we want to open up to it and breathe it in. Like this is anger. It's like a labor contraction, like breathe it in, right? Acknowledge that it's there. <laughs> And then just watch it in your body. That's the W is witness or watch where you just watch. Like, do you know where you feel anger in your body? I feel everything in my chest and neck. Every emotion I feel like is in the same yeah, place. Yeah, I do. Does anybody ever feel it like in their pinky though? That's what I want to know. I do think it's mostly localized between <laughs> face, <laughs> neck, chest, abdomen. Yeah, I don't hear hear a lot of little toes or pinky emotions, but maybe they're out there. My earlobe is buzzing, a I'm feeling a, <laughs> my, a little pressure my right cartilage. here. Yeah, no, <laughs> my cartilage. <laughs> yeah, so, but it really, it's like, it takes about 90 seconds once you learn how, right? You have a thought, it creates chemicals in your brain, and that's what creates a feeling in your body. And so if you just, if you just write it out, kind of... Write it like a wave, not write W-R-I-T-E. Yes. Yeah, write it out like you're surfing a wave, essentially. You're not trying to make it go away, but you're also not letting yourself react to it. You're just like, oh, yeah, this is anger. I can handle this. I can let this be with me. And then about a minute and a half later, those chemicals will have run their course. Now, you might think another thought again that creates anger again, but once you have this skill of allowing a feeling to pass, it's way less important 
that you're thinking a different thought because you can handle feelings. So if they're still squishing the banana into the couch and I think another angry feeling, no, I think another angry thought, then I just need to learn to sit, not sit because I'm actively pushing people away from each other. Mm -hmm. I still just have to be willing to tolerate that I'm feeling angry, not tolerate even because you said open up to it and invite it to be a part of my experience. Yeah, it's more like accept it. Like there it is. It's already there. Yeah. So why Mm -hmm. not just accept that it's there? So it doesn't mean that we're only going to feel anger for 90 seconds. It's going to, it might last longer. Well, it might come back. You might keep thinking it. They might keep smashing the banana and you're still telling yourself the story that made you angry in the first place. I love that we have, I love that me, it's been my fault that we're stuck on this banana. But it's so relatable. That hasn't ever even happened. (laughs) I have a thought, Anita. What? You have mentioned that you are very competitive. Mm-hmm. Do you think that when grief shows up and anger shows up and all these emotions show up and someone's squishing the banana that you are competing with those feelings and that's why you're not allowing them in because you have to beat it and you think the way to beat it is by overcoming it with even more frustration? I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. Welcome to my A-line school. (laughs) Do you know who I do? I feel like I'm in competition with my kids, like that we are battling each other and that I'm trying to somehow win their cooperation. Um, And I feel like I can only... So I guess my thoughts would be that they are actively working against me and that somehow I have to get them to cooperate with me or we're not going to succeed as it's a, a battle mm-hmm. you're in a I battle d- i do feel like i'm actively in a battle every single yeah, day Yeah, they're working against me actively yes yeah yeah, yeah. like wh- how could you shift that for yourself what could you think that wouldn't be that well i mean i can tell myself as a as like a something that i can believe is that they're just kids and they don't know any better i say that and that gives me like a reaction in my chest it doesn't work for you you don't feel it, better it, it makes me say they should be better yeah. which we know what you say about shoulding no bueno you shouldn't should on yourself but usually what i think is if i turned out to be an okay human adult then anybody has the chance to be an okay human adult but they're even stressing that right now what if what if it's not like you're not trying to love what they're doing you're just trying to not Mm -hmm. actively resist it and it's more like this is what they're doing right now like this is what i've got right now this is what's happening right now yeah i i find that it's all well and good until the banana starts getting smooshed into the couch until they are on their until they're at mel's life coach school the action Mm -hmm. school it's all good in thought and theory until I have to until I have to act. Mm-hmm. And then And then but what's really happening at part. that point is that you no longer believe this is what they're doing now or this is what's happening now, right? At that point you switch into something that is not that. Yes. Be doing that. They're working actively against me. I have to fix this. I have to change this. This has to yeah. stop. Or I have to protect house and property and life. Mm-hmm. Some of the time. 
So I'm yeah. like, I can't just accept what they're doing when they're trying to light the house on fire. It's not, though, that I'm so glad you yeah. said that. It's not accept as in, I'm so happy they're doing it and I wish them to continue. <laughs> right? It is yeah. just no longer active, actively resisting it because when we're resisting something, we're essentially giving it our power. If we stop resisting it, then we're able to actually take back that power and parent, right? And that's just, that's not just with parenting, that's with anything. I find that a very confusing concept in my brain. Yeah. I'm saying, what? Explain yeah. that again. Yeah. Okay. So if we're, t if we're wishing something were different than it is. Okay. Right. We're like, I'm wishing my child was not lighting a match right now. <laughs> yeah. And you're telling yourself they, they sh absolutely should not be doing this and yet they're doing it. Right. Okay. Then how do you feel? still like I need to stop them from what's lighting the, the match. What's the emotion? Uh, fear yeah, okay. is still there because they're, it's a dangerous thing they're doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then when you feel fear, how do you parent? Um, I, I don't know. Different than anger, probably. Mm-hmm. Or frustration that they're doing it wrong, yeah. you know? I don't know. Yeah, it's really just about getting, getting yourself, being in charge of your own emotional state so mm -hmm. that you can parent as effectively as possible, right? Yeah. And it's not just limited to parenting, but when we, we're adding a lot of resistance to something and telling telling ourselves it shouldn't be the way that it is what that usually ends up looking like for us is that we're less effective in our response to whatever's happening right and so i'm not saying we don't we want it to continue but we just don't want to give energy to it we want to control our own emotional state so that we're grounded mm -hmm. and from that place make decisions about how we want to intervene if we do so if I'm feeling fear that they're going to light the house on fire, do I use the same technique of feeling that feeling, you know, identifying it, welcoming it? And what was watch? What was it? Witness. Yeah. Well, it probably Witness. depends on wh at what stage are we in? Has the, la the match been lit? Like how much time do we have? I <laughs> right. You just need to know that last summer I took my kids camping and we went to this campground place, and my four-year-old lit a fire inside of the bathhouse and then just strolled out like nothing was nothing wrong. Was and wrong. then somebody came out of the bathroom yelling that there was a fire, and he had lit a flower arrangement on fire. So I, I feel like I have a little bit of PTSD about that. Um, yeah, he has lit the camp. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, that may not be... <clears throat> Something you could example. have done anything. Well, it just, you weren't even there. How could you have possibly done anything about it? You know, so like thinking about what is the actual challenge that they present to you in the moment where you are there. And then if your normal response is, you know, at a certain point you yell and that's the behavior you want to change, then how do you either allow the anger to be with you or think about it differently so that you're feeling more grounded, calm, right? Capable, unaffected. You got your work cut out, Krista. They are the greatest teachers, those little people. <laughs> the kids are. Well, that kind of reminds me of one concept that, 
that is within the life coach paradigm. And that is that just because you're aware of your thoughts and you realize that you have control or you have some say over what you think and therefore what you feel and how you act doesn't mean that everything's going to be a good experience or it's going to be happy and yeah roses and sunshine yeah like I don't think any of us really want to be that person who's always happy yeah but I do feel like our society kind of expects us to always be looking on the bright side Mm -hmm. you know you want to take that and make it into a better experience and just be instead of just being like no actually this is just stupid and I don't like it yeah and I think that's it's that's why positive psychology gets such a bad rap because that is what most people think it is. It's just, you know, putting lipstick on pigs and thinking happy thoughts all the time. But that's really not the point of the work that I do at all. It's more like most of us are running around with all of this programming in our mind that we didn't consciously choose and we're just repeating it. Right. And if we're just repeating it, then we never change anything. We're not living intentionally. We're just recycling old patterns. And so this is a great opportunity, grief, right? Loss. It's a great opportunity to stop and say, do I like the patterns that I have in my brain? Do I want them there? Some I do, some I don't, but let me be the boss of that. Let me decide what I want to keep and what I want to replace. And so it's really just an exercise of becoming more intentional, right? And that's what post-traumatic growth offers. How do we figure out what patterns are there and what ones we want to keep and what ones we want to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if they're, if they're second nature, if we've already kind of incorporated them and we don't realize they're even there, how do we find them? Well, there's different ways to do it. I think one of the easiest ways to do it, of course, learning the self-coaching model that I work with helps a lot, but just even looking at your paper, at your thoughts on paper, mm-hmm. right? If, if we're not our thoughts, if we're the thinker of our thoughts, we're you know, not actually any of the sentences in our mind, then we don't really ever get any leverage over those sentences unless we can actually look at them in black and white. So just dumping them out on paper helps tremendously to just dump it out on paper and go, oh, actually, most of what's on this piece of paper isn't actually factual. It's just stories that are in my mind. It doesn't mean anything about me. I haven't done anything wrong because I'm thinking these stories and it makes a lot of sense that I feel like, you know, I'm on this emotional roller coaster because look at all the sentences. But then when we can see them in black and white, we can start to decide which ones of these are actually creating results that I want and which ones aren't. So if we find ones that we don't like the results they're creating, how do we get rid of them? I think it's less about getting rid of them and more about just being aware that they actually are optional. Mm. Right? Okay. Like I like and then to they kind of work themselves out. Mm, It's the awareness heightens, right? So if you start seeing a thought and you notice it as a thought instead of just believing it, most of us just walk around believing our thoughts. We don't actually Mm -hmm. see them as thoughts, right? But if you start noticing yourself thinking, I'm never going to be successful. And the difference is that you aren't actually just believing that thought because if you're doing that, then your brain is actively scanning the environment for evidence of how you're not going to be successful and how you haven't been successful in the past, right? It's just creating more attachment to the story. But instead, you start to notice over time, oh, there's that thought again. I'm never going to be successful. I'm never going to be happy again. There's that sentence that my brain is so good at offering me. But just because it shows up doesn't mean I actually have to listen 
you can look at the things as neutral instead of as truth. You get to decide. Get to decide. Yeah, and show yourself a whole lot of compassion along the way because, of course, all of our thoughts feel true. It's our brain's whole job to be efficient, right? Seek pleasure, avoid pain, be efficient. And that's what it does is it, it filters our whole world. It's like wearing glasses, right? Like whatever thought you are thinking is like you're wearing glasses that color the whole world with that thought. Your brain shows you data that lines up with the thought that you're thinking. It blocks data that doesn't match the thought that you're thinking. So all of a sudden we, we've been thinking something for a while and we just think it's true, but it may not be useful. My brain is a loop. I mean, I guess everybody's brains are loops, but I've often caught myself, especially right after my husband died, I just kept thinking, Scott's dead, Scott's dead. I can't do this. What the heck? Mm-hmm. And and it was like, I mean, for weeks, it was almost like it was the only thing in there. It was like a record on repeat. And I knew that I was right. I knew that Scott was dead. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I can't do do this. I didn't, you know, that was just kind of going in there. But it's like, it's hard to replace thoughts like that. So is that where writing stuff down helps to get that out and break the loop? And then you can look and see what your thoughts are and see if you want to decide to keep that in your thought loop? Yeah, because if you don't get it out on paper to look at it, it never becomes an object, right? The thought never becomes a thing. It just feels real. And so you have to make it an object. So I play lots of games with my clients just to help them objectify the thoughts that they have so they can start. Can we play a game? Let's play a game. Can we do it? Like, like I'll I'll give you a simple one. If there's one thought that you are wanting to bring your attention to and you're really wanting to see that, wait, I don't think this is maybe true. Maybe this is just a thought. You just get like a rubber band and put it on your wrist or put it on your little finger. And every time you notice that thought and you catch it as a thought... You just move it from one hand to another hand, right? I thought you were going to say snap it. I know, me too. I don't like this game. No, it's not about punishment. It's just about (laughs) noticing, right? Like, oh, there it is again. Wow, that brain, that thought is in my brain a lot. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And then, so the exercise is not about, um, you know, making yourself feel bad because the thought appears. It's about starting to separate yourself and know that, oh, wait, I'm just the awareness behind the thought. I'm not actually the thought. Mel and I have talked about this on several different occasions. And I guess the question is, is, is there a point where you move from, I don't like the word normal, normal grief into T- typical Typical, yeah, into something that's beyond that, that requires more than life coaching. For example, if you have a major depressive episode, and that's a medical diagnosis, is there a point where we have passed the point of normal brain chemistry and function, and we can't just rely on paying attention to our thoughts? And For example, like PTSD, yeah. And triggers and stuff like that, where you have a response like that. Yeah. I mean, I think there are certain things that are, at least every life coach and therapist probably has a different thought on this, but I'm very clear with where my boundaries are and where I'm useful to a person and where they require another level of support that I'm not yeah. qualified to give them. And I think those two, you know, there's lots of options and many of them work well together. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So I have many clients who are in therapy and still in therapy or doing EMDR and I'm working with them as, you know, with at the, thought, the thought in work conjunction. or tapping or. Yeah. So I guess I just wonder, though, if people maybe start to put all of their eggs into the, you know, the coaching or the model basket and maybe they're not having success because there is a limit to at what point you need something extra because of like physiological, if that makes sense. Yeah, then you should trust your gut and you should go talk to someone who can who can make a diagnosis. Life coaching involves no diagnosing. We don't right. diagnose, we don't treat, right? It would be irresponsible of us to say that that's within our scope of practice capacity. And it's, yeah, it's just yeah. not. So, so uh, of course, like, please listen to your own gut. If you think there's something more going on, there's no harm yeah. in... And finding to, that out. Yeah, to someone who well, can and, tell you. And, the, and part of the reason that this had come up, and I'm curious to get your take on this, is that we will find, like, leading up to a day that maybe is a big day, I will find myself being really grumpy and really, like, feeling really strange and off feelings. Mm-hmm. And I don't even realize what day it is until I'm like, what is wrong with mm-hmm. me? And then I go wait, today was mm-hmm. the day that we got engaged yep. or whatever. And it's like, I never had that thought first, but I'm having a physical reaction to the day. It's like my body remembers what mm-hmm. day it is, even though I didn't have ever a thought. Like I had to look into my brain and say, what is this day? Why is this day right. causing me to have these problems? And so I'm always like, how can that be my thought if I never had the thought that's yeah, causing I, my feeling? I do think that, you know, it's cliche in the title of a very good book, but the body does keep the score in that regard, right? And there are just some things that our body remembers and that if we want it to be, can be a sign of areas of opportunity for us to, to do some work on, right? To release some stuff that maybe we're still carrying around with us that isn't really doing us any favors. So do you think that you, are you saying that you can work on those for lack of a better word, symptoms um, that you're having around a day and make that better? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I'm not saying that the same thing works for everyone, but I don't, and honestly, I don't even know that that's a problem. Right. Right. Like we don't even have to think about it as a problem. We can just decide, oh yeah, this is, this just happens and I don't need to make it a problem. Right. Mm -hmm. I can love myself through it. And also, if there's stuff left that doesn't feel like it's healed, why wouldn't we go back and work on it? Yeah. And I'm kind of, I think maybe I'm in that boat of not thinking it's a problem. Mm -hmm. It's more a curiosity for me. Mm -hmm. And, and in the beginning, I didn't even realize what was happening. I would just find myself just being out of sorts on Mm -hmm. some days and not knowing what was going on. And then at some point in time, it was like, Anita, this is called grief. You're feeling Mm -hmm. grief right now. And I was like, oh. That's interesting, you mm-hmm. know, because before I just thought I was crazy. So, mm. Well, it's good to know that it's not, yeah, we don't have to say yeah. that we're crazy. It could just be good. <laughs> My body will do that when I get near, I've, there have been times when I've been driving near the accident site and I've mm-hmm. kind of lost track of time. I don't really know that I'm close to it. And all of a sudden yeah. it's like my body just knows. Oh, and then I look up and then I realize kind of look at the signs and the mile markers and I see, oh, okay, that's what's happening. Yeah. I'm getting closer. So how do you, if we, if we believe, though, that our thoughts create our feelings, then how does that jive with the model? I think there are just some patterns that are unconscious, 
Mm-hmm. Right. And some we can work with the stuff that's at the level of consciousness and there's uh-huh. stuff that we can't work with. Okay. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means we have to work on it differently. Right. Okay. Yeah. What do you think of that, Mel? I think that's very enlightening. Yeah. And I am satisfied with that answer because that's what, yeah, like Anita said, we've discussed this before because I am doing life coaching with Shauna and, and I'm also working with a therapist. So I have both kind of going on and, and it's that same thing where it's like my body, there's, I know there's a point where my brain has gone into a certain spin where my, the model is not going to be working for me. And the other stuff is like where it would be complete PTSD where it's Mm -hmm. like, I have to take a benzo or something. And so where I think they match though, where they can match is, and I'll violate all the rules of basic certification. So if you're a new life coach, please don't listen to me, but is that whatever's going on in your body, right? Even if you didn't consciously put it there, but you're having a response that then becomes your new circumstance, right? So, okay. So here's how we normally teach it, right? Circumstances are things that other people do, things that are out of our control, things that are in the past, things that we could all universally agree upon, right? So it's the child is smashing the banana into the couch. The neutral thing. Yeah. The neutral thing. The banana smashing doesn't cause our feelings until we have a thought about it. Right. Some people okay. might be like, look at that creative child He's smashing doing art. a banana. <laughs> right. He's right. so sweet. And then others of us are like, please That's a crazy immediately person, stop. Just, you know. Yeah. Right. So I'm not saying it's not right or wrong, it's not good or bad, but it's just thoughts cause feelings. And the things that happen in life are neutral. So what I propose is that we we I'm just a little more liberal in the way that I use the circumstance line. So Right. What's happening in your body, even though not the, you know, the rest of the world doesn't know what's happening in our body. Right. But we know what's happening in our body. That then becomes our neutral circumstance. And then we get to decide how we want to think about that. Right. And I do that a lot with feelings, too, because I notice we judge ourselves a whole lot for our feelings. And so I will even put feelings as circumstances. So I notice I feel happy and then I judge myself and make it mean I didn't love him enough. And then I feel guilty right? We get to decide how we want to think about how we feel. Or I notice I feel sad and then I tell myself I should be further along than I am. And then now I feel, you know, despair. That makes me think of all the messages we get from widows that don't have kids. They feel guilty because they have feelings about their own situation, but they're looking at others, difficult circumstances that are different. For example, widows that have kids Mm -hmm. and they feel like, I am not validated. I should not feel like I have these feelings because look what these other people have to deal with and I don't. However, they're still sitting with, well, maybe we wanted to have kids and the opportunity was taken away. How can the model help in those areas as well? Because they maybe wanted a banana smashed on their couch and they lost the opportunity. I mean, who doesn't, honestly? (laughs) (laughs) You can lick it later. Mm -hmm. In our group, this does not happen We have a lot of, I think, pretty mindful people. But in some groups I have seen where it's like there might be a complaint that a parent has. And then the people that don't have kids are like, Mm. how dare you complain about that? At least you got to have them. Mm -hmm. And then it's a comparison. And that's where things get scary and empathy goes out the window. And it's like 
the situations are so different. We are in the same boat because we're widows, but we also are in very different boats Yeah, with everybody's situation. So what do you think, Krista? Yeah. So it's like the whole compare and despair thing. So I have lots of thoughts about it. So, because I see it and it is so prevalent and it's not just those with kids and those who didn't have kids. It's also with money. That that person got money, I didn't get money. That person, you know, has their bills paid. Now I have to work twice as hard. That person's spouse died in this way. My spouse died in that way. Right? We can con- compare and despair on anything, but I think the the way to stop that is just to decide that whatever pain you feel is legitimate. Like you don't need anybody's permission to acknowledge that your pain hurts. You can just let it be there. You can just let it be there. And when we compare and despair, we just create more of it, right? We like invalidate what we're seeing, feeling. And then instead of just having the initial pain, then now we're suffering. And I hope the more that we hear these types of things, that it helps us to to be more cognizant of what is actually going on with emotions in our head or what's actually just a neutral fact. And that everybody realizes that they are valid and widows that don't have kids, it's okay to speak up widows that don't weren't married to their husband or wife or whatever it counts. And we're all in this together. So I love that we're talking about this because I think that we all should band together and be stronger because diversity is diversity is hard and confusing, but it's also what helps us to band together and be even stronger. Yeah. As opposed to my pain is worse than your pain or your pain is easier than my pain. If we could just come at it from, hey, we all have pain and like my pain sees your pain. Right. And then we can support each other through it and let it just be what it is, which is just different. I was going to say my pain sees your pain and raises you one banana. Two smashed bananas. Thank you. Two smashed bananas. Yeah. Like, why do we Um, do that, though? Right. I mean, I also think there's a part of it that's like, it kind of feels better sometimes to get angry than it does to just accept the emotions that are lower on the scale. Right. It, It feels better to have a place to put your anger and frustration than just to accept that just bad things happen and we have no idea why. Do you think, Krista? That that is a reflection of how that particular person is viewing their situation as well as how they treat themselves. Because I've noticed that sometimes the people that are more judgmental of others are also first harsh on themselves. Yeah, 100%. I got to think about what that means for me. Like why I'm so competitive. Like, does that mean that I'm not good enough myself? I'm competing with myself. It probably no, does. You're the best, Anita. Thank you. I have a question, Krista. I don't know if you're going to be able to answer honestly or not. Okay. I'll have be honest ever, no matter what. Okay. Have you ever met a widow that you can't help? Well, I've met widows that I felt like I shouldn't help, that that weren't in a position to receive the kind of help that I offer. Okay. Do tell. Well, so, you know, in life coaching, I know that the women that I'm best positioned to help are back to that place of functioning in life. If there's a diagnosis that needs to be given, they've gotten it. If there's, you know, some sort of medical or, you know, medicine that's required, or I don't even want to say required, but 
they're getting the support that they need so that they are in a place that they are functioning in life. They're checking off all the boxes. They're not in bed all day crying. They're not, you know, having thoughts of self-harm or harming others. And so there's some, you know, minimum criteria that that's not where everybody is, right? Mm -hmm. That's not where everybody is. And so I wouldn't, that's why I'm pretty cautious about who I invite into my program because I don't want to offer to help people who who aren't in a place to receive the type of help that I offer. So I'm real quick to refer out. So if somebody is in that place, has there been somebody that you can't help after that that really tries? Yeah, um, I have had, yeah, there's one client coming to mind. It's not so much try though. I think that's the problem. It's, it's the people who I have misjudged who I thought were in a better place and then it was too much for them. As much as they wanted it, they just cognitively or emotionally weren't ready yet. And it was a, just a big ask. Because I, this is, you know, the kind of work that I do. It, I mean, it is work. You, you really are looking at your thoughts and processing your feelings. And some people just, they're not there yet. And there's no, and you have mean to buy a rubber band to switch from band. wrist to wrist. And, and then- <laughs> hard right. sometimes i mean that's hard one. Right. why do you yeah. even buy rubber bands anymore <laughs> office max no wait office depot oh, they got bought out we used to get them off of the newspaper and now everything's online oh have you ever had a bandy ball yes no right? i've always wanted one okay only the cool kids have those i need to get that for our second anniversary okay my children would just take them all apart <laughs> yeah <laughs> instead of a cute ball yeah that's funny um, do you want to tell us a little bit um, more about your mom moves on group? Like sure. What it is, what you do? Yeah. So it's for um, women who are widows and moms. It doesn't really, ch- age of children is not relevant, um, but that shared life experience. And we spend six months, months together and we just work through the main issues that most widows you know, are struggling with and look for all of the patterns that are unhelpful, which I don't determine, right? They do. But what are the things that are in your way of loving your life? And so we spend, you know, we work clearly on the model because that's the main tool that I teach. We work on how to feel feelings. We work on what's the story that you're telling yourself about the past that maybe is creating a lot of suffering or holding you back. What's the story that you're telling yourself about your future? Is that actually the story that you want to tell yourself? So retelling all those stories. We do a whole month on your relationship with yourself and self-confidence and decision-making because most widows struggle in those areas, right? Our self-confidence takes a hit and we have trouble making decisions. We spend a whole month on challenging relationships, be that parenting or in-laws or your mother or your coworkers or whatever, but we like relationships just kind of blow up for a lot of us. You know, maybe it wasn't quite as challenging and now it's super challenging. And so we just really work through, you know, with a combination of, me giving you the tools and you doing some self-study and DIY and then me doing a lot of coaching and group work. So it's amazing. Do you guys meet together? Is it like a virtual Zoom and everybody's in there together at mm-hmm. the same time? Yeah, we and have then- calls twice a week that are on Zoom and everybody's there together. And then I coach one person at a time. So it's not like uh, you know grief counseling where everybody goes around the room and shares. It's pretty focused coaching. So somebody will come to me and say, Hey, you know, I'm struggling in this area. This is what my father-in-law just said to me and, you know, about my husband or whatever. And then we coach on whatever's going on. But what's amazing about group coaching is that 
you actually kind of get more out of it sometimes than you do with one-on-one coaching, because when you're coaching one-on-one, your brain's kind of resistant to it a little bit. But when you're watching someone else get coached and it's not your life, your brain's really open to the idea and you can see it you go, Oh, that's, I see the problem there. And I see how I'm doing it in this other area of life. So I could take that lesson and apply it to my life and benefit from it. So it's a combination of coaching live via zoom. We also have an online community. So I do a lot of coaching in between calls, just where people will bring me stuff. We use an app um, called Slack and people just bring me things that they want coaching on inside Slack. And we just go back and forth and have conversations. Very, it's, it's like, you know how sometimes you get in a group and everybody's relating to one another, but they're also dragging each other down. They're like keeping each other stuck. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's like the best of both worlds where, yeah, where we're relating and we're not saying it's easy and we're not pretending we're not being fake. We're being very honest and, and, you know, very vulnerable and we're, you know, figuring out how to move forward and not playing the poopy diaper all day. (laughs) How many, how many widows do you coach at a time? I accept, well, it's kind of a revolving door. So I accept eight each month. So every month I bring in eight and then every month at the end of the month, eight women finish. Do you have to bake banana bread and submit it for your application? With the banana that was smashed on the couch. No, you do not. There's no baking. There's no baking. (laughs) And then I do have, I have, this is the really fun part is that I have a master's program. So there's the initial six months. And then when I did, when I started the group, I had the women graduating and they were like, we're not ready to leave. What else can we do? You know, do you have something else for us? And so I created this master's program and some of them are, they're now on their third round. And it's just like such a tight knit group of supportive women who are really all about, you know, figuring out how to grow. It's, it's fun. We do have a very important question. All of your training will lead up to this question. So oh dear. answer wisely. Okay. <laughs> what is your favorite cheese? <laughs> That's not a fair question. Do, why do we have to pick favorite? You can have top three <sighs> okay, and I'm... just assess your feelings. I want you to like your reasons and have your own back. Okay. I will not later tell myself I should have thought differently about said cheese. Um, so I'm a regular feta eater. Like I have, I buy more feta than probably any other cheese. Um, I do. I, I am a blue cheese fan. I know that's Ooh. polarizing, but mm-hmm. I do like blue cheese. That's controversial. Um, and even occasionally like a Gruyere, like, I know it's a little questionable too, but yeah. So I don't, I don't, I'm not again, the only cheese I'm against, I'm really not like a pasteurized cheese product. You mean like craft Singles or like easy cheese? Oh, definitely not easy cheese. I can't. Uh, sorry. Krista, thank you for being wise and imparting all of your knowledge in this one episode. Did I just impart all of my knowledge? That was a lot all of, of pressure. It. I feel like, okay. All right, I'm done now. No more knowledge. You're welcome. <laughs> You've downloaded all <laughs> of it down- into my brain. It's gone. No, I need more knowledge. I need so much more. I don't know. It's... It's a little crazy. Remember to check out the Widow Wives Club on Facebook and answer all of the questions. If you don't answer all the questions, we are declining you immediately. I'm not even the one making that decision, and I wholeheartedly support it. Yes, we have gotten. I mean, we had like 22 requests this morning, and none of them 
yeah. had filled out all of the information. And it's it's so sad for me because I'm like, if you belong in this group, I want you to be here. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not letting you in if you don't give me an obituary because I don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. Ooh, sorry. And when you do answer the questions, you will know that there is a question that you might feel like you should skip because you don't know how to do it. If you have problems with it, email us. Please. We want you to be in there if you need the support. But we have to do this. Thank you. And check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash WWDN. If you want to be our widow bestie, our widow wife, wife, or our dead husband. Or a widow friend. Widow friend. Maybe you should do it in order. Okay. Yeah. I forgot about the widow friend. Just start at the word widow friend and then go up. Okay. If you want to be our widow friend, our widow bestie, our widow wife, or our dead husband. Dead husband. That's the best one, you guys. You get a t-shirt. Yeah. Then check it out. Patreon.com slash WWDN. Or buy us a taco at buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now. And until next time, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. I'm Krista. And we're just two young widows and one other widow who has an actually useful podcast. And we're just trying to figure out widow we do now. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So. If somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.